0: Let's pray together. <clears throat> God, who alone gives peace, there is no peace apart from you, but you give perfect peace. Isaiah 26, you keep those people whose mind is fixed on you in perfect peace. That's amazing. That is uh, something that people everywhere strive to have. They don't look to you. So we look to you today, God, not just for peace. We need you to help us understand you. As we approach your word, help us to learn you today. We need the help of the Holy Spirit who illuminates Scripture He helps us to understand and comprehend it. So Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit be free to move in this place with great power and freedom, helping us to understand and be comforted and challenged and changed by the revelation of who you are and what you do. So we commit ourselves and submit ourselves now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. It is... Really good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone in just a few days. If you're a guest with us, we're glad you've joined us for a weekend worship gathering uh, of Redemption Church. We take this time in this space, in this place, to gather weekly to worship God. Um, and however, I want to warn you worship may not be what you think it is. Because in the West, what we've done is we've commodified worship to be a song set, worship is singing everything else is different. And I will argue that's not true. We've, we've diluted worship into just a action of singing. Worship is actually involving everything that you do. Uh, worship, you will worship later today. How many of you are going to lunch after church today? You are going to worship. You're going to worship. How many of you are going to see at least one movie over the Thanksgiving break? Okay, none of you want to go to the evil cinema, okay, because the word sin is in cinema. Okay, got it, understood. Uh, How many of you are going to watch Netflix, though? Oh, no, he got me. Yes, I did. Okay, If if you assign a time worth to that movie or a monetary value to that meal, you're assigning worth, that's worship. We're worship factories, that's all we do. We assign worth to something or someone. What we're saying is, God is worthy of all of us. And I get a greater sense of that when I'm surrounded by other people who are pursuing the same thing. And so we're here to worship God. And by the way, look around, everyone, because if they're all here next week, they will not be the same physically, because Thursday. It's not pigging <laughs> out. That's That's... It's a new term. It's MCI, maximum carbohydrate intake, right? And we're all going to be engaged in that. So may your team win, and may your weight scale not reflect the damage you did on Thursday. But we're here to worship. We're here to engage and see just how worthy God is. And to do that, we learn about who he is and what he's done. We do that in the pages of the Bible. So if you have one, why don't you go ahead and take it out or turn it on? I want you to head with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, is where we're going to be today. This will be our, our, our last sermon in 2 Corinthians for a little bit. We're going to head into Advent next week. We'll hear more about that later today. And then we'll start uh, 2020 with a look at what does God want to do in and through Redemption Church. And then we'll get back into 2 Corinthians after that. But we've been walking through Second Corinthians line by line, verse by verse, and we made it to chapter 4. We'll be quoting from some other passages, but really that, that first six verses of chapter 4 is where I want you to be. If you don't have a Bible with you, we actually you covered in two different ways. One, the verses will be on the screen behind me. Not just 2 Corinthians, but all the verses we use to highlight what's happening in that passage will be on the screen behind me. But also Bibles in the seats in front of you. Whether a blue cover or a white cover. It's on page 562. You're welcome to follow along that way. And if you don't have a Bible to call your own, take the one in the seat. I want to give it to you. an Early Christmas present. We, want, we also have some other things we want to give to you. On the back resource table, there's a devotional booklet through Second Corinthians that helps you understand what we're doing in the series. Also, there's a scripture journal that you could use to take notes, not just during the sermon, but as you may be reading in 2 Corinthians. Take that. We want to give it to you so you can have regular encounters with truth that could actually transform you from the inside out. November twenty fourth, 2019, today, one month and three days from now, will be our 21st wedding anniversary. We made it. Our our marriage is old enough to drink, right? (laughs) But not drinking and driving. That's a bad, right? and what we had planned to do for last year, our 20th anniversary, had a couple of hiccups on the way to get there, but we actually had been planning this trip to Hawaii. And when I got back from a sabbatical, some people started asking me, Hey, are you going to Hawaii? Hey, are you going to Hawaii? What are you doing about Hawaii? And I remember responding, like, Yeah, sort of. I started thinking about that. I was like, You don't sort of go to Hawaii. You either go or you don't. Yeah, we're sort of thinking about going there. You're not just thinking about it, you've already put down deposits and plane tickets and stuff. You don't just sort of do it. So what was my reluctance about just going, yeah, we're going to Hawaii in March. We leave on her birthday, okay? We do. Uh, hey, don't give me that much credit. It was just the day it fell. I didn't think about it. I was like, ooh, it's her birthday. I'm a romantic, not at all, okay? So anyway, I has got me thinking about, like, why was I so reluctant and hesitant to share that? Why was I so, like, Yeah, we're kind of thinking about going, we're kind of going. You don't kind of, you dive in. It's like, maybe it's because it's an expensive trip and we've had to save up a long time for it. Or not everyone can go to Hawaii and I felt kind of backdoor guilty that not everyone's going to get to do this. Or maybe it's because I just didn't want to draw attention to the fact that we're going to be flying for hours. Reluctant to share something good. We're going to get to see some beautiful sights. We're going to get to experience some amazing things. that I was reluctant. And forget about Hawaii if you can. What about grace? What about love? What about mercy that God has poured out on you in the person and work of Jesus? Last week, we learned that we've been given boldness because we have a new covenant, this new binding promise that God has given us and what Jesus has done. We have a new relationship with God because we have a new relationship to God. This should fire us up. But yet, does the word gospel just explode from our lips and lives all the time? Sadly, I think you would agree with me, but it doesn't. It doesn't. And you wonder, and you wonder why. Maybe uh, we're just reluctant because we're too busy. How many of you are just busy all the time? Raise them, you all are. It's like, I'm retired and I've never been more busy. I need to go back to work to get some time off. I've heard that recently. Everyone's busy. And and that's like the, the hanger that we hang the reluctance coats on is I'm too busy to share this. We're reluctant. And it's so weird, isn't it? Because why? Why? Christians have the greatest news to share, so why are we so reluctant to share it? Now, Paul will not address every reason you may have for being reluctant in these six verses. But in these six six verses, Paul is going to address three reasons why Christians may be reluctant to share the gospel. And he's going to use the gospel to dismantle every one of them. And he's also going to show us why the gospel will always be enough to dismantle any reason we have to be reluctant to sharing this gospel. So let's dive in, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1 the verse 2. First reason people may be reluctant to share the gospel is they have a fixation with ease. I just want to have a comfortable life. I just don't want to have a whole lot of mess, I already deal with enough stress. I don't need all this. I just want to protect this ease of life. Let's jump in, starting in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, we have denounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul addressed two aspects of ease. One is your self-preservation. Another one is your self-profit. In verse one, he looks at self-preservation. Number two, he addresses self-profit. I just want to protect this ease of life, or I want to get a lot of stuff for myself because that will make life. Easy. So we start off, therefore, for this cause. What cause? Second Corinthians 3, 7 through 18. You have a new covenant with God, your faces have no longer been veiled, but it's been unveiled. You have boldness. You are always looking at Jesus and you're continually being transformed. Because of this, you have a ministry now. How many ministers does redemption church have? All the people who call it home, right? We have a ministry. We have a, a service. We have this life-giving, freedom-giving, liberty-resulting gospel. How? Look at me for a second. By the mercy of God. Not from our own taking of it. Like, I didn't achieve that. I didn't, I didn't warrant this. I didn't earn this. It's by mercy. Mercy. It's not self-attained. It's God-given. So Paul's like, don't get it twisted. It's not you but it involves you, and we'll hear that more later. It's not you, but it involves you. We have this ministry. It's gospel bot. We are not entitled. We are privileged. So because we have this ministry, Paul says, check this out. We do not lose heart. If anyone ever tells you, look at me for a second. Sharing the gospel is easy. Two reasons why. They're crazy, or they're liars. It's hard. In fact, Paul would even reference how hard it is earlier in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 10, Paul says, by the way, we the spirit of life while in Asia. We receive the sentence of death. We're overcomers, right? But it's Paul saying, we're not going to lose heart, in other words, we're not going to stay discouraged. We will have those things happen to us, but low heads will always get raised again by the power of the gospel. So if you're at a low point, know that God will lift your head again, and again, and again, and again. You will. It's a guarantee. Because of the power of this gospel, he says, we will not give up. Literally, losing heart means giving up. Or if you're familiar with mixed martial arts, it's tapping out, you're submitting. This mercy not only secures your future, but it also stabilizes you right here and right now. And speaking of USC, you may feel like in your gospel presentation, you may feel like this. Answer me this: This guy look like he's having a really good day right now. Some of you are like, "Oh, that's awesome." Yeah, it is. It's called a cross arm bar. Those in the biz call it a cross arm breaker. You can tell he's not singing. There is a peace that settles your soul. He's saying, there's a piece of my arm that I've lost control, right? That's what he's doing. I'm going to write that down for Advent, yes. But here's the thing. Even though you will have times like this, here's what the gospel does for you. It will either give you a way of escape out so you can get back on your feet again. And by the way, I've seen escapes to this. This guy was not done. Or it will help you endure until the bell rings to where you can get re-centered and refocused on him. You know that. He will help you. This is why Paul says, even though it gets bad, we we will not lose heart. So guess what? You are not called to ease, Christian. God is not calling you to comfortable, because in all honesty, it's a facade anyway. But he also talks not just about self-preservation but self-profit or, or self-acquisition he says we have actually renounced that word renounce meaning we're despising it we're rejecting it we're, we're actually casting it aside we're saying farewell to this disgraceful or shame-filled or underhanded ways why because back in the first century here's what false teachers would do they would take the message and dilute it or water it down they would gain a following. And if they get a a big enough following, they're going to get money, they're going to get resources, they're going to get good standing. Isn't it nice to know how far we've come in 2,000 years? (laughs) Oh, we we haven't? Right. Same song, different verse. This is what they would do. They would dilute it. They would take a cue from merchants of the day who would bring these massive amounts of something and, and actually give you just a little bit, but then fill it with what they called filler to actually get a bigger profit by getting to sell more of a fake product. If you want to know a common day equivalent to that, go to your supplement store and get anything that looks what's called pre-workout. And say, so it's got this ingredient, it's got that ingredient, it's got this ingredient. And it does have just a little bit of each one of those ingredients, and then look for the, 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 where it shows you all the ingredients, and it says proprietary blend. Again, we haven't changed. We still do this. We're, we're watering it down for the sake of our own greed and profit. And Paul says, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. We, we actually refuse to practice or walk in cunning. We're not going to try to deceive or trick you to make you believe something that is false. We're not diluting the message to deceive you. In fact, Paul says, we're not tampering with it at all. We're not tampering with this thing. We're not, we're not trying to adjust it or, or, or to, to distort it or falsify it. We're not messing with the message. In fact, we're an open statement. Open statement of the truth. You can see what we are talking about. We're committing ourselves to you. Why? Not because we're that important or that great, but because the message is on point. It's on point. We know that there is real power in the gospel. We're not trying to manipulate it. We're not ashamed of it. We're not trying to dilute it. We're trying to show it to you. Why? Because it has power. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation for anyone who would believe, Jews or Greeks? Back in that time, that those, you know, you're either one or the other. I'm not trying to dilute this. I want you to see this. Paul says, "We recommend ourselves to you, not bragging, but we're inviting you to examine us. Look at what we're saying. Test it. See." In fact, he even goes so further, not just your conscience, which can kind of tell you what has integrity and what doesn't, but he says, We're actually doing this under the sight of God Himself. Now, earlier in Second Corinthians, Paul would employ what's called an oath formula. He would swear to God that what he's saying is true. That's how serious he was about the message. And now he says, By the way, look, we're doing this under the sight of God Himself. Latin phrase "corum deo," under the gaze or the sight of God, everything before the face of God. Paul's like, we're doing this in front of Him, and He will be the one that ultimately says, "Hey, you're right or wrong," and we're trusting that we are we are speaking to you what is true. I'm saying this under His sight. We are telling and living. His truth. We're not trying to get a platform for ourselves or more stuff for ourselves. We are expending ourselves for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of your soul. So, how might the gospel help us to get comfortable with actually being uncomfortable? And maybe that's not our reluctance. Maybe it's not a fixation with ease, but maybe it's a fear of the enemy we have. Why don't you jump back into the text with me, starting in verse 3, as we read through verse 4. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Back to this idea of veiled faces. We saw this in chapter 3, that even though people said they knew, they didn't know, they could see but they really couldn't see. Uh, For example, this is a dumb example, but I'll show you what I mean. Let's say that um, I took my fleece jacket here and I just kind of put it over my face. Okay, I can't really see you. I can see right in front of me. How many of you would let me drive your car like this? Right, a couple of you in the first service didn't have your coffee yet and said, that would be fun. No, it wouldn't actually, that would be a wreck. Okay, but here's what I'm saying. that that whole dumb idea is to say this, you can see in part, you just can't see what you ought to see. Their faces are, are veiled. They're being ruined by their own sin. But wait a minute, I thought the veil had been taken off. But no, not for everyone. Paul goes back in 2 Corinthians 2, talking about the aroma of Christ, verses 14 and 15, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. In chapter 3, the veil is in reach of the eye, but the eye is covered to to not see what it must see. Verse 15 through 18 of chapter 3. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's a complication here. The God of this world is at work. The God of this world, Paul says, the enemy of our souls is at work. We have an enemy, and he is powerful. I want to alert us to some of the eyes up here for just a minute. Christians make two main mistakes when it comes to Satan. Mistake number one, there's a demon behind every door. Don't step there. have got to pray it out first. Have you been around people like that? They're a bundle of fun, aren't they? Right? It's like, hey, we can't go there yet. I've got to pray over this. I've got to anoint this table with oil before we sit down, Right? The other side is equally as deadly, though. (laughs) Whatever. Defeated foe. I don't have to worry about this. He has nothing over me. I can dress up like him for Halloween. Ha, ha, ha. No. No. Your enemy has power. How do I know that? Because Jesus said so. Jesus actually said so. He says that our enemy, while not ultimately powerful, still is powerful. Listen to what Jesus says about our enemy in John 10, verse 10. The thief, the enemy, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Paul would actually give you a, a, a clue to his power in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the enemy is at work, blinding minds and thoughts of unbelievers. We heard about last week, their their minds are being hardened. That's 2 Corinthians 3.14. And right here, we can throw up our hands. That's why we have the fear. Well, I don't need that, I don't need all that opposition. I know that if I'm gonna share the gospel, it's gonna to be, to be tough, and it's gonna be rough, just forget it. I don't have that kind of power anyway. No, no, actually because of God's grace and because of his power, guess what church, you have power, you do. Some of you, I can look at your face, you're like, I do, yeah, his name is the Holy Spirit. The same power that brought you from death to life is the same power that could use you to announce to others how they can be brought to death, from death to life. You have the power of the Spirit at work within you. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He has power. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with it enough to stake your life on that? Here's the thing, the gospel is about light and darkness. We were made originally to walk in the light of a relationship with God and to follow him by obeying everything he said, to reflect him by the way we obey him, to relate to him in in a relationship of love. But everyone knows what happened. We we didn't just fall away from that. We ran away from that. We said, I am going to look for something or someone else to love me. Your love's not enough. And I don't submit to your rule because I can rule myself fine. I don't need your help. Tell me something. Do you think we are capable of ruling ourselves rightly? (laughs) No. And now we have a chasm that exists between us and the God who created us in love for love. And we can't get back there. We can't. Not by anything you do. Hey, you're here in a church service? Great. I hope you're blessed. But guess what? It's not enough. Hey, I dropped some money in the offering box. I appreciate that. The church appreciates that. But that doesn't mean you can pay God off for a good deed. You stand condemned because of your sin. Not just the things you do, but the way your heart's bent away from God. And it can't turn back on its own. It will stay in darkness. But then the light of Christ comes. He lives perfectly in my place, obeying every command God ever said, Perfectly relating to God. He dies in my place. He dies the death I deserve to die. He pays the penalty my sin has incurred, which is death. And now he's alive. We don't serve a dead God. It's like a news today? We don't serve a God who's dead. We're not memorializing him. No, we're, we're worshiping him because he is alive. And he says, I will give life to any and all who would ask. Your dark heart cannot be lit up by anything other than me. And you ask me to light your heart up, and I will. What must I do? You can't take it. You must receive it. What do I mean by that? There's not going to be some grab. You just have your hands up and say, I need you. I need you. Will you take this dead heart and make it alive? And he will, he will, right here, right now. The light of Christ, that has power. And look at what Paul says here, he is the image of God, image of God. In the gospel, Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Paul, we even describe him in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, that word firstborn, not meaning literally the firstborn, but the, the seat of authority, preeminent, prominent, supreme, most important, the firstborn over all creation. And here's the irony, funny, Paul was actually blinded by this light. Now, it's not just a 70s rock song by Man for Man and the Earth Band, Okay but he was actually blinded by this light on the way to a place called Damascus where he was wanting to kill Christians and ultimately Christianity, Acts 9, 3 through 5. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. How might the gospel help us overcome a fear of the enemy? Maybe right, your issue is not a fixation with ease. Maybe it's not a fear of the enemy. But maybe it's a focus on ego. Maybe it's about you. Maybe it's about how good or bad you do something. I can't share the gospel. I can't share what Jesus has done in my life because I'm not a good speaker. Or, or I'm, I'm maybe too good, so I better let other people do it. Paul addresses this, though. Listen to how he starts off, verse 5 and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, earlier, Paul says, we commend ourselves, but we're not proclaiming ourselves. Two weeks ago, Daniel was talking about a pride and shame and how we can do things for, for one or the other. We, we either do things because of pride or we don't do things because of shame. He's like, hey, we're not, we're not proclaiming ourselves, but we're doing this. It's, like, it's not about how good you do something and take pride in or how bad you do something. Look, there's nothing you can say that God cannot redeem, and there's nothing you can say that God doesn't have to still work in. I remember in, in school, in, in a class about evangelism, I heard the story of, of a pastor who's really nervous. He's about to preach his first sermon in his new church. And he hears that the church matriarch is going to be there. She's been there forever since Genesis 1 was written, right? God said, oh, hi, church matriarch. Didn't know you were sleeping, right? That's how long she's been there. He gets up and he preaches a sermon. And he sees a couple of people nodding their heads. And he gets a couple of amens. But the he's you know, kind of doing this number. So finally, he's shaking hands in the back. and. People were saying, hey, great job, great job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But he's only got one person he wants to hear from. Who? The matriarch. She comes up, she goes, preacher? Yeah, it was a good sermon. (sighs) Thank you. It was all Jesus. And she puts her hand on his shoulder, and she goes, not that good, and walks out the door. (laughs) Hey, we're not trying to get ourselves over as great people that are oratorically awesome at proclaiming the gospel. It's not about how good or bad we do. It's about the mission that God has us on. We do not proclaim ourselves, but actually, Paul says, this, we're proclaiming Jesus. It's not about us, but it involves us because we're the ones who are proclaiming or heralding. We're announcing news. There's a king who has come and overcome you, for you. He's a king that is victorious and he will reign and his reign will not be overtaken by anyone or anything. Is that good news for you today? You have a king who will never be toppled. He will never be overthrown. This is what we get to pronounce. This is what we get to proclaim. This is what we get to say to the world. And this isn't, Paul says, for our platform to build us up. It's to show that Jesus Christ as Lord is Unfortunately, in the West, we've not only kind of diluted what worship is, we've almost tried to separate who Jesus is. You may have heard this before I accepted Jesus as my Savior, but I'm still making him my Lord. What? You can't separate. Jesus is Lord right now. That's like saying, "Um, My name is Jason, but I'm not married to Mandy. I am. You can't separate. You can't separate that. We, we said, Jesus is my Savior, but I'm making him my Lord. Look at me, please look at me. You don't make him anything. He makes you. Please, please, please. When, when I understand what people were saying. I'm learning to submit to his rule and reign over all things. I understand that, but you don't make Jesus anything. People say, hey, I want to make Jesus famous. I got news for you, he already is. You, you realize the book that's about him has sold more copies than any other book in the history of history. We don't make him anything. We just realize more and more and more of who he is. He is Lord. He just didn't didn't save your soul. He has a right to call the shots in your life. Hey, anyone who rises from death calls the shots, right? Paul says we want to proclaim Jesus is ultimate. He is Lord. And as a result, Ourselves, since Jesus is Lord, we are now your servants. That word for servant is literally the word bond slave. We are your slaves for Jesus' sake. Since he has a right to call the shots, he says, hey, Paul, hey, Timothy, hey, guys, I want you to serve this rebellious, angry, attitudinal people called the Corinthians. I want you to serve them. I want you to go low so that they would lift my name high. Paul says, actually, even though we have authority, we're actually, in a way, under you, Corinthians. How is that possible? Because Jesus is Lord. So not only does Paul say it's not about ourselves, he goes lower than that. Why? Verse 6, because God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, going back to Genesis 1 in creation, Genesis 1, 3, and 4, and God said, let there be light, and there was light and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God who said, let there be light, has shone in our hearts. To do what? Not just creation, but re-creation. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. In him, Jesus was life, and this life was the light of men, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He gives the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How? In the face or the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus. And who Jesus is and what he has come to do. It's very interesting, this interplay Paul has. In verse 4, you see the glory of Christ. Verse 6, the glory of God, saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is greater. He's greater than Moses in chapter 3, he's greater than us. God is shining and now we see his grace clearly. How might the gospel help us to get over ourselves today? Look, for some of us the reason we're reluctant to share the gospel is because it's going to make us uncomfortable. Some of us are reluctant to share the gospel because we fear the repercussions from our enemy. Some of us are reluctant to share the gospel because we're so hung up on our performance. Are we going to do a good job? Is someone going to tell us we did a good job? Are we going to do a bad job? But the gospel addresses every single one of those and any other reason you and I can come up with. And why is that? Why? Because of the purpose and the power of the gospel itself. That's what propels us to proclaim it to everyone we see. The purpose of the gospel is what? Revealing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ the power of the gospel, it actually shines in your dark hearts and lights them up. Like you can't turn on the light of your gospel heart by yourself. No, it lights your heart up. It does the work. It has the power. Has the gospel lost any of its power? Yes or no? No. So the gospel has not lost any power. Have you lost any standing with God? No. Your standing is secure. So any reason we have for reluctance will slowly but surely diminish in the light of the power of that gospel. Now, redemption, let's not get it twisted. We cannot say, you look at us, you see the Father. We're not that good. But we can say, hey, as you look at us, we want to reflect the work that God has done in and through us. You can see his work on display a pastor I love and respect has said, the local church is a living picture of the power of the gospel. Where else can you see such diversity, yet such unity in the same gathering, right? And please don't mistake where you are and why you're here. You just don't live in a house because it's the house you chose. You just didn't choose this area because you wanted to raise your kids here. You didn't have your office cubicle where it is. Do you think that's all accidental? Do you think you live where you live by accident? Look at me, church. Do you think you live where you live by accident? Do you think your kids go to school where they go to school by accident? Do you think that, that you work where you work by accident? No. No. You're a herald. You're a proclaimer. This is, this, this is what forms us as a church. Like the, the very foundation of Redemption Church is what? The gospel. So let us give our all for this. Let us expend ourselves for this. We realize we're not called to ease. We realize that it's okay if we're not perfect because we'll never be perfect. I, I remember in class going to a sermon that a friend of mine was preaching. He had recently just gotten converted and, and he wanted to share his testimony and he talked about Moses in the lion's den. Now, for those of you familiar with the Bible, you were either internally or externally chuckling. For those of you not familiar with the Bible, let's just say it wasn't Moses in the lion's den. It was Daniel. But here's the funny thing. He gets Moses in the lion's den wrong. But his powerful gospel proclamation of how God had brought him from darkness to light led to actually guys getting converted that night. There's nothing you can say that God can't redeem. And you're not that good that God didn't have to do redemptive work. (laughs) Fair? So when you're looking at this gospel, redemption, this gospel has formed us, and it will fuel us as we move forward to present that gospel. I have news for you. 150,000 people in Pearland. There's a million people coming between 288 and 518, and 288 and Highway 6 in the next 10 years. You need traffic's bad now? 288 is going to be 288,000, right? And guess what? They are all in need of the light, of the glory, of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus. Let's go get them. Now, for those of you who are sitting in your specific chair, that means you. You may have some, some reluctance. Let's apply the gospel to your reluctance. If, you, if you're fascinated with, with a fixator on ease, Look at Jesus living in your place. He took no such ease at all, did he? Imagine Jesus leaving heaven, coming to the brokenness of the planet Earth. And yet he will help you take the hard road, at least to the gospel being proclaimed. So ask him for greater endurance as you want to share that gospel. Maybe you have a fear of the enemy. Yes, the thief does come to steal, kill, and destroy, but you already have abundant life right now in and through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? If you're a Christian, do you believe that right now you have abundant life because of Jesus? You do. You do. So ask him to show you how abundant that life really is. Maybe you're focusing on your own ego. Maybe you're tempted towards pride and shame. Ask God for a right view of his grace also a right view of, of who you are. But ultimately, church, after all is said and done, after all the reasons for reluctance are given, the best way to gain motivation for sharing the gospel is to look, 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 look to Jesus. Because he is and will be all the help we will need. You may I you to bow your heads and pray? We're about to take communion. Uh, We take communion, we observe it weekly because we need to remind ourselves of where our hope ultimately comes from. Our hope does not come from our performance. It doesn't come from how great a week we've had or how bad a week we've had. It comes from the finished work that Jesus has done. In just a minute, we're going to take a piece of matzah bread and and a cup of juice, and we're going to remind ourselves of the price that Jesus paid not just for freedom, our spiritual freedom, but for joy. In Hebrews 12:1 and2, we're called uh, to look to Jesus, the author and finisher, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he is seated right now at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. the joy of bringing light. To dark people and places, light to darkened hearts. Joy that was set before Him. When it gets hard to share the gospel, when it gets hard to press in, may we look to this Jesus, who, for the joy that was set before Him, did this for us. Our proclamation of the gospel is fueled by the joy of Jesus. I'm going to invite the people who have agreed to serve communion to come forward.